and welcome to the Low Tox Life Podcast. I'm Alex Stewart, your host, and today is show 138. I have a fantastic show and a fantastic guest for you today on adaptogenic herbs, stress, and the bigger clinical picture, and how fear actually plays a part for so many people in terms of their health picture. The guest is the wonderful uh, Anthea Kalouris. She's the founder and CEO of Ovio Organics, a naturopath, a herbalist, author, educator, and she's so determined to make health as simple as it can be for people to help them thrive. And I absolutely love the little nugget she throws us right at the very end of this podcast. I know you're going to love it too. It was a real aha for me around um, what to do when you're essentially healthy. And everything's actually working. Uh, it, it's really, really cool. But I'm gonna, I'm gonna let you guys listen to the show and hear that little nugget at the end. But I just wanted to also mention that Anthea has been helping clients become well for 24 years now. We're very lucky to have her on the show. Such a wealth of uh, experience, and uh, there ain't nobody who knows adaptogenic herbs like Anthea. So I'm really looking forward to hooking into today's show. Uh, as it's a new month, can you believe it's May already? I have a wonderful show supporter for us this month with a pretty sweet deal. It's Etitude. Now, Etitude are a sustainable lifestyle label. They specialize in organic bamboo bedding, sleepwear, and bath essentials. Key here is to know that Etitude created the world's first Lyocell bamboo fabric made with 100% organic bamboo. Bamboo is a bit of a minefield out there in the textiles industry. There's some seriously dodgy stuff. And then there's the good stuff, like Etitude have created. So uh, my son's two quilt covers on his bunk bed are both Etitude, and the sheets are so soft and silky. They're beautiful. And I've had a lot of great feedback uh, over the last couple of years when Etitude has jumped on board as our show supporter from people who've tried the sheets before, unfortunately, only available to the Aussies, uh, but you get 15% off your first order. So if you haven't ordered from Etitude before, this is perfect. You now have 15% to make the most of it. Lowtox15, all caps, is your code, and you can head to etitude.com.au. Beautiful sheets, gorgeous sleepwear, uh, and I really urge you to give it a go if sheets are something you're in the market for at the moment. Um, something else interesting to note on the fabric front is that the bamboo is hypoallergenic, antimicrobial, thermoregulating, and moisture wicking. So it doesn't, it's not the sweaty kind of fabric. You know how some of those fabrics make you feel a bit sweaty in the night and this one definitely doesn't so enjoy that offer you have it all month but if you're like me and you forget these things and you actually do really need sheets right now and you'd fancy having a backup quilt cover then make the most of it while you remember 15% off and for all new customers enjoy and of course enjoy today's show hi Anthea how are you I'm good, Alex. So nice to be here with you. I am so excited to have you on the podcast and I'm ashamed to say it's nearly three years old and this is the first time we've chatted together on the podcast. So let's make it the first of a few follow-up shows because I know today's topic is going to be one of those topics. We're going to go have quite a bit of stuff and usually we then get a bunch of questions that forms a bit of a part two. So before we hook into all of that, I would love for you to start by sharing with some of the people who may not have come across your work before, how you came to discover naturopathy as your calling, because you are very much one of those people that you can just see it is your absolute calling. It is. And you know, this year marks 25 years of clinical practice as a naturopath, but wow. I know, I can't believe it, but I'll take you back at the age of 12, true story, still have the book. I found a book called How to Get Well by Pavo Areola. He's a naturopathic physician. So it must have been mum and dad's book. I've always asked them, but they can never remember this book, but I have it. And I was wowed by it. It was, it was published in 1971, the year that I was born. And there was something about it, and I think it was, I, I could see all these ailments that he listed and then the dietary recommendations and then the supplements to take and the herbs to take. 
And I, it just resonated. There was just something that went, oh, I can do that. And so I manifested diseases to do that as a child. Oh, my gosh. How did that, <laughs> talk, talk to me about how that played out. Well, you know, you think you've got acne. I know, I'll make a calendula poultice and I'll put it onto my face, but I don't have acne. Oh, I must have a sore joint. Oh, okay, I'll make up a, a comfrey ointment. And so I went on. Wow. Mm. And the rest of us were just like trying to scrounge a few bucks together to go to the movies on George Street. <laughs> I was the nerd, the herb nerd from a very young age. Wow. And I grew up with a, a family who... Um, grew their own food because mum and dad are from Cyprus. Um, I was first generation born here, but they grew up, you know, on a Mediterranean diet. So I, they were already growing the herbs. Um, I was just playing with them. Then I started to know a little bit about them and use them. Amazing. And so it was just a natural progression, it sounds like, to then go and study and start practising. Yeah, it was it was a very strange choice that I had because I thought, oh, I know I want to be an architect. I don't know if other kids had this idea. Mm. Or I'll be a naturopath. And in those days, who were the naturopaths? Coincidentally and probably not, um, we had a family friend called Penelope Sash. Do you remember Penelope? Yes. So she was a family friend. She was my aunt's friend. And is it a coincidence? I don't know, of all the people at the time and – I started studying naturopathy and worked for her for seven years. I was her right hand. Wow. And I credit a lot of my business skills and knowledge and herbal tea blending to Penelope while I studied naturopathy. Amazing. How incredible to have that, uh, that Penelope as a mentor. Yeah. Mm. Quite the phenomenon in those days because they were the days of early naturopathy were kind of fringe dwellers, alternative thinkers. I remember. I mean, when I decided to, well, it was thanks to a friend who kind of did the whole, look, I know it's a bit crazy, but have you thought about seeing a naturopath when I was chronically ill with tonsillitis? And um, that was, what, 15, 16 years ago now. And I had to look hard to find one. <laughs> it was not easy. Mm. And uh, so I went to hers and it was all the way across in Mossman. I don't know if you ever came across the beautiful Christine Schwedhelm, an uh, incredible German woman who was my naturopath yeah. for 10 years before moving back to Germany. Yeah. And, uh, and, yeah, it really did feel like it was um, something you had to try and track down. Very different to now. Very different to now. And, I mean, out of my year, 14 of us graduated. I'm, I think I'm the only one still practising. Oh, wow. That's yeah. interesting. Mm. And what have you noticed over the past 25 years of practice since you began in the profession? Like, obviously, a, a desire for a, an approach to give the body the tools to heal itself is literally sweeping the nation <laughs> people are starting to wake up to the fact that what we've been doing doesn't necessarily work for us all um have you noticed anything clinically in, in that has changed in a really big way i think as practitioners i think we're still seeing very similar conditions and diseases because either we'll see the conditions that um aren't being resolved because no one's really addressing the underlying contributing factors or the um, the underlying causes of why someone feels the way they do. Because as, as naturopaths, we're always looking at the why, but, you know, we value and acknowledge the influence of the environment, um, foods, how, how we eat, what we eat, farming, all of the, the whole thing, stress levels. So I think I'm still seeing similar things. I mean, sure, I've, I've got a busy clinical practice and I have another thing that I also do, um, but I'm still seeing digestive disorders, reproductive conditions. I think what's happened, though, is the industry has changed. There is more of a focus on prescribing very medicinally rather than holistically, and what I mean by that, that some herbs are not indicated for everyone. It depends on their constitution, their temperature, their mood. Um, and I know we're going to get into a little bit of that, of how we prescribe according to the individual because everything's now in a supplement. It's over the counter. You don't need to see a practitioner. Everything's widely available. Um, so there's a, I feel like there's a little bit of a lost art of the way we're prescribing herbs 
even supplements, what, what I mean by supplements, vitamins and minerals, I think the, the, the landscape is flooded with um, unqualified people and as well as there's so much, so much supplementing so many products that are widely available. Mm. And, I mean, yeah, we have to face the reality that we live in a time where a young girl who might have a few symptoms or even a woman, anyone, frankly, comes across an account and it's uh, an well-meaning social media influencer nonetheless. You know, I'm not saying Mm -hmm. anyone's trying to harm with intention. Of course not. Mm -hmm. But, um, you know, they might be making a maca smoothie and saying, oh, my gosh, this is amazing. Everyone has to try this. And no, everyone doesn't have to try that. Please speak to your practitioner. And, uh, yeah, yeah, I think the internet doctor beware. It's it's really important that we... um, we can experiment and try a few things that aren't going to cause too much harm with a few days' use. But checking in with a practitioner, I think that one-on-one time is really very important. So I'm excited to sort of make today quite a bit about adaptogenic herbs in particular because this is a category that I have seen blow up. And I remember going to see an Ayurvedic doctor actually in Bunai Junction, a lovely woman, Um, I had heard about ashwagandha and she did her full hour of uh, constitution consult to try and, you know, place me on the, on the Ayurvedic scale. And, uh, and then she didn't prescribe me ashwagandha. I said, why? She said, no, 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 that is not good for you. You have a heavy constitution. This is going to make you heavier and more lethargic. So just because something is adaptogenic doesn't necessarily mean it adapts to what you need, right? Um, And I think it's, uh, yeah, it's a really good topic. So let's let's actually hook into that now. Um, It's all the rage, but let's, can you just share what exactly by definition an adaptogen means? It's a term coined in herbal medicine. So it is something that we only use it as naturopaths or herbalists. Um, it means it's a, a remedy or a herb that helps you better adapt to physical and emotional stress. It often gets confused with the term adrenal restorative. An adaptogen can be an adrenal restor- restorative, but an adaptogen can also be an antioxidant, an anti-inflammatory, um, a rejuvenator, and an immune modulator. So it helps the body adapt to any type of physical, emotional stress in any part of the body. So the digestive system, the nervous system, the immune system, not just the adrenals. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it is talked about a lot with the adrenals. So it's really good to see um, the full scope of what that word entails. So can we talk about a few different specific ones so that we get to know them all a bit better? Yeah, and... And in Chinese medicine, TCM, Ayurvedic medicine, they feature a lot, but they also do in Western herbal medicine. And as a young naturopath, what we were taught is from the herbal medicine according to the British Herbal Pharmacopoeia, thank you, or the Nicholas Culpeppers and all the the ancient herbalists that we adore, but we were greatly influenced by TCM and Ayurvedic herbal medicine. I don't know if that is still the case Mm -hmm. in current times. So... In Chinese herbal medicine, a lot of the most common ones are the ginsengs, and there's a variety of types of ginsengs. Ashwagandha, the other name for it is Withania, also known as Indian ginseng. Mm-hmm. And that's the one that we use for um, someone who is burnt out or stressed out, but also a very thin and wiry, anxious constitution. Mm. So we don't give it to an individual who is heavy or slightly overweight. We think thin, wiry, anxious, almost in, in Ayurvedic medicine, a vata type of constitution. Mm, yeah. Besides, so would that be like almost would people with like hyperthyroidism fall into that category as well? Yes, it could. And that's when you're looking at exactly as you said, you go and see your practitioner. They've got this clinical knowledge of herbal medicine, not just in theory but also clinical, and they're assessing each person individually. We meet patients where they're at, how they're feeling now, how they want to feel, their history, their constitution, their body temperature, their temperament. 
that is how we choose the correct herbal medicine to get the correct effect. Um, then we've got the other ginseng, Siberian Eleutherococcus is the botanical name. By the way, in herbal medicine, we always learn the Latin names. We'd always get in trouble if we didn't learn the Latin names. <laughs> or, um, or, the, or Korean ginseng, um, also known as Panax ginseng. Korean is more masculine. You use it for short periods of time. It's great for exhaustion, increases stamina and endurance, but not indicated for someone who's anxious because it'll rev them up too much, basically. Mm. Siberian is more feminine, longer period of time, six to eight weeks. It's, it's, when I think of Siberian, I'll give that to more female energy, Korean more masculine energy. It doesn't mean I can't give Korean to, to female. It just depends, again, where, how they present themselves. Mm-hmm. But they help with stamina, endurance, and energy. So that's their role, those type of ginseng. And so would that be good for people who are therefore more um, more on the lethargic kind of sluggish side? Correct. Mm-hmm. And anyone who's feeling quite um, um, fatigued, whether it's just simple tiredness or chronic fatigue, it might be a remedy that... We meet them where they're at before we go in deep and actually address the underlying causes. Sometimes adaptogens just help stabilize, rejuvenate, mm. tonify before we go in deep. Okay, because you said uh, they're six to eight weeks. I picked up on that. So does that mean uh, you tend to prescribe these sorts of things in bursts and it wouldn't be something that you would just take because that's good for you ongoing? Yeah, because as... As a practitioner, we're always wanting to address the why. Mm. During that time, if we see there is um, a stress, then we're going to dive in deep and find out, well, why is this individual feeling stressed? Is it emotional stress? Is it cognition? Is it the disease itself that's causing the stress? Is it just um, not living their purpose, being in a state of fear, being in a state of anxiety? What's driving that? Um, and this is how I use adaptogens to harmonize either parallel to the treatment or to begin with. Mm, gotcha. So it's sort of almost like a little bit of an SOS while you then dig deeper for the bigger picture. Correct. Mm, cool. Mm. And Shisandra, tell us yeah. about that one. Well, it it. It's when you taste Shisandra berry, because it's in one of our teas, you get all flavors. That's one of the most phenomenal things about it. You taste bitter, sour, tart. Um, you, you get this amazing sensation, but its effect, and so hence why it is used in cooking, in Chinese cooking, mm-hmm. its effect on the body is quite phenomenal because it increases sensory performance. So good for... If stress is affecting vision, if stress is affecting even cognition, um, and it has a liver protective effect and it rejuvenates the liver and it restores the liver. So I'm going to use it for someone who maybe um, has been taking a few drugs, alcohol, living the high life, um, not feeling quite 100%. They want to change their ways and we want to gently cleanse them, detoxify them help them get some clarity and focus. That's just one example. Ah, this sounds like exactly why I might, well, (laughs) not for the same reasons I should just preface, Um, but it sounds like uh, exactly why my naturopath would have this in a blend for me right now with the recovering from environmental toxin illness from mould with a liver so shot to pieces and just gently kind of cleansing and... Um, and obviously the neuroprotective effect as well. So that's really interesting. Cool. Yeah. And beautiful herb for physical and emotional exhaustion as well. Mm. See how one particular herb can, you know, be indicated for a few different body systems. So I never just think, for instance, um, St. Mary's thistle is just a liver herb. I might prescribe it in many different ways depending on the individual. Right. Can you share, given you just mentioned St. Mary's thistle, some of those ways? Yeah, so with St. Mary's thistle, it, is ha- it has a very protective effect against the liver. So sometimes people are just having it if they're having a binge or a bender. Um, but I also, we use it as a detoxifier combined with a few other herbs, whether it's schisandra, rosemary or dandelion. If someone hasn't been eating well, if they've been exposed to 
um, environmental toxins, topical toxins from beauty cleaning products, um, toxins that they smell. Um, but it's also a very rich antioxidant. So it is something that we might prescribe um, post-cancer treatment. Um, it's a restorative. It's a rejuvenator. Wow. It's incredible how these herbs can do so much. Mm-hmm. And, and so it sounds like depending on what you then choose to blend them with yeah. will complete a picture for what you're trying to support someone in. Correct. Mm, yeah. And that's why that individual prescription is really important. And I want people to experience that because sometimes you just might buy something over the counter. You know, there's some fabulous product, herbal products over the counter that will work well. Um, um, I'm not paid to say this, but something as simple as Armour Force because it's got andrographic. Mm, love that product. Excellent for the acute onset of a common cold, the mm-hmm. onset. So that's where it's going to work specifically. So that one... Yeah, it's a good first aid remedy that makes sense to be sold over the counter. But um, when we're treating chronic ongoing disease, disease that's been has manifested and is still manifesting, it's been there for a long period of time. You wanna, you want that's when you need the expert. Look at your constitution and look at the why. Mm. I love it. Um, let's talk about Amla. I've seen this one come up a few mm-hmm. times lately. It sounds interesting. Mm-hmm. So, Amla, do you remember that product? So, in Ayurvedic medicine, Indian medicine, called Chaya Wam Prash, that kind of gooey black. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and it was it's like a lot of clove in there or something, like it's yes. a sweet paste. Correct. And yeah. you have a spoon of it. Mm-hmm. And it contained Indian gooseberry, which is Amla. Mm. Um, in herbal medicine, in Latin, we call it Phylanthus emblica. And it's a nutritive, it's antioxidant, it's an immunomodulator. Um, so we would generally use it as a revitalizer. Mm-hmm. And it's found in, a, in that product as a paste or as, as a herbalist, we prescribe it in a herbal tincture form, but also in a supplement, which a supplement of a herb is usually just the herb that has been dried, powdered down and encapsulated or formed into a tablet. Mm-hmm. And so rejuvenator, does that go across all constitutions, that one? Generally, yes, you could. Um, I would see it more as a food product um, or non-product, but more as a food because it, it's, it's rich in nutrients. Some say it's very good and rich in vitamin C. There are other things, other herbs which are higher in vitamin C. Um, but I quite like it as a, as a re- nutritive and a restorative. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. And next, Bacopa. Yes, also known as Brahmi mm-hmm. or Bacopa monieri. Um, this is the one that we would use alongside Ginkgo biloba mm-hmm. for poor cognition. So poor cognition meaning focus, concentration, alertness, memory recall. But as you know, the, the big question is, but why has someone got poor cognition? Mm. I would never just stop at Bacopa. I'd, I'd want to support this. It, it, it increases circulation to the head area. It's an antioxidant. Um, yes, it has that action. I would use that in conjunction with something else that might be con- contributing to the poor cognition, which is, as we would know, dysbiosis. If mm-hmm. there's an overgrowth of bacteria or an undergrowth of bacteria, um, Certain bacteria, the relationship between the gut and the brain, the effect, if there's dysbiosis over or undergrowth, could be poor cognition. Mm. But in the meantime, Bacopa could help Yeah. while we're addressing the underlying reasons. Now, I, you don't often hear practitioners talking about undergrowth. We're always talking about overgrowth. So can you talk to me a little bit about that? I know we're tangenting off our our adaptogens, but I think that's a really interesting point. So when we do comprehensive stool analysis, we often see an undergrowth of E. coli Mm -hmm. um, and sometimes an undergrowth of the lactobacillus bifidus, certain bacteria that need to be present. Yeah. So with an undergrowth, it, and, and hence why I don't like prescribing a probiotic to someone who's got chronic digestive disorders mm. long standing because I want to know well, what is missing. Um, 
sometimes we play it safe, we might give a probiotic that will just rebalance, generally create an environment that's um, healthy for the healthy beneficial bacteria, hostile to those that aren't beneficial, like parasites, yeah. um, pathogens. Um, but, you know, something like E. coli, E. coli makes charismate, which makes B9, B12, um, makes um, tryptophan, which makes serotonin. So that's, again, that's the role of the practitioner is to look at why we test, we don't guess, we ask questions, we sit opposite a patient, we feel into the areas that might be contributing to the, their symptoms. Mm. And is there a prebiotic uh, food that works especially well to rebuild something like E. coli? Yeah, I mean, all your your traditional um, prebiotics that we would use from Cyprium um, powder and, and all products that contain Cyprium powder to um, green bananas to chicory root, dandelion root, those kind of things. Mm-hmm. Um which is all part, you know, within a healthy, seasonal, fresh, organic diet, we're going to get those natural prebiotics. Yeah. But sometimes then the question is, well, why is there an imbalance? Why is there dysbiosis? Is it because of being on the pill? Is it because of mold? Is it because of many courses of antibiotics? Yeah. And so on. Mm. So going back a bit. Yeah. Layers. Absolutely. And what I'm getting already over and over again is... Sure, we can do some SOS, but we have to get to the bottom of things. Correct. Mm. I mean, herbal medicine can be used as first aid, SOS, but, but why is the individual getting sick? Why are they unwell? Yeah. And uh, I've got a couple more I wanted to ask you about. Mm. Uh, rhodiola. Love rhodiola. Um, it's One of its other um, common names is Arctic Rose. Um, rhodiola rosea it's my herb that I use for women I feel like it's a very feminine tonic for fatigue anxiety and depression Um, in a herbal tincture form it's almost as thick and gluey like licorice root Mm. Um, but when the two are combined it's actually fairly pleasant not horrible taste I like the taste yeah yeah I, I quite like it too so this is the one that we use when someone is feeling quite low and blue and anxious. But again, why are they feeling that way? Mm, why, 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 why? <laughs> um, no one's going to get away with anything seeing you, are they? No. <laughs> <laughs> um, what about Tulsi? This is one of my favourites. Yeah, and beautiful in a tea. And I, yes, it's available in a herbal tincture form or a herbal supplement, but it's so easy in a tea. Um, its other name is holy basil. Um, again, very similar to rhodiola. We use it for anxiety and depression, um, fatigue and poor cognitive function. Right. Amazing. And I used it as a I use it still as a, a histamine SOS. Yeah. Um, as a moldy, that's one of the things that dysregulates and uh, and it takes a little while to get it back into under control. Yeah. But um, but just Tulsi tea has become my everything. Yeah. yeah. Beautiful. And then our ever so trendy marker. <laughs> yeah. Um, and when is this good for? Who's it not good for? Um, it's interesting marker. Um, it. You know, these, a lot of these things will cycle. Um, they have their heyday. Sometimes we things pop, see things pop up, and, but when you've been around in the industry for a while, you think, oh, not that old thing again. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's the bootleg genes of the yeah. herbal world. It's that thing. And like appears again. Mm. I love it when people see them as, as new things. But anyway, maca doesn't seem to work for everyone. I find sometimes maca will be, um, a restorative to hormones and for some women and for others not mm-hmm. um, and again I, I don't it's something that is quite trendy and used in smoothies maca powder throw it in but these things I still consider as medicine so my caution is how much are you using so maybe the the effect of being a hormonal imbalancer rather than a hormone balancer is maybe you're using too much. Maybe you're not using enough. Maybe it's not the right herb for you. Maybe there's a better female 
reproductive hormonal balancer than maca. Yeah, and there could be so many different reasons why the hormones are out of whack and which hormones are out of whack. Correct. It seems all too simplistic to just think we can add a tablespoon to a smoothie and that we're going to be okay. Exactly. Can can you run the risk of creating further imbalance? I think so. I think... You know, for acute symptoms, like we mentioned, andrographis echinacea for in armor force, for acute symptoms, generally not. You can get away with if something pops up within a couple of days and you prescribe something, even if, if it's something like you've got bloating or wind or discomfort and it's a new symptom or constipation or diarrhea, new symptom, and you prescribe accordingly, generally you'll get some really good results. But when something is longstanding, chronic, persistent, frequent yes you could end up um, exacerbating your condition especially if it's a condition which is quite um, for instance if you have if you're quite thin and wiry and your belief is that you're overweight and you want to lose more weight and taking ingredients or herbs that are more cooling to the constitution that'll only exacerbate your constitution um things like i wouldn't prescribe for someone who's already cold something as simple as peppermint wouldn't suit or dandelion root because they're too cooling yes peppermint good for the gut dandelion root great for the liver but i wouldn't prescribe those to someone who's already cool already cool meaning uh thin thin and feel the cold ah gotcha yeah the same when if someone is really hot and overweight or robust, doesn't mean everyone who's overweight is very hot. Um, I wouldn't give them ginger and chili and those kind of warming herbs because that will only exacerbate their, their, their constitution, mm-hmm. exacerbate their disease present, presentation. And so what would, and the cooling ones would be? Cooling ones would be fantastic for someone who's feeling the heat. Yeah, okay. Peppermint is the most obvious cooling herb because it's very rich in menthol. Mm. Most bitters are also cooling. Bitters are excellent for the digestive system. But if I'm going to give a bitter to someone who needs um, tonification of the digestive system, meaning they've got poor appetite, they're not digesting or processing food well, there's a problem with the absorption of nutrients, I may still give them bitters if they're cool, but I'm going to offset that with some aromatic warming spices like cinnamon and ginger. Ah, and this is where the blending comes in. Correct. Mm, Amazing. So interesting. Uh, I love Western herbal medicine. I do so hope our government's review of the review that got us into the pickle where we don't recognise it as having enough evidence is Mm. very swiftly overturned. That's what my hope is. My hope is the same. Okay, so we've done our good short-term six- to eight-week work with our adaptogens. What do you see as being, um, I I feel like you're going to say stress. I feel like you're going to say that that's really the big one that gets us in the pickle with so many different illnesses in this modern time. Um, But is it stress that you see as being one of the bigger picture clinical presentations that leads to a lot of the stuff we're seeing people struggling with? Yeah, it's just what is stress? Mm. So the, the thing is stress can be a nutritional deficiency. Stress can be an infection. That mm. is a stress on the body. Stress can be inflammation. That's a stress on the body. Um, being too cold, constantly being in air conditioning, that can be a stress in the body. Um, being exposed to so much electromagnetic radiation, that can be a stress. Chemical exposure, constant chemical exposure, that can be a stress in the body. I think um, working long hours, long days, not resting, not sleeping well, not eating well, they're more obvious stresses on the body. And yes, there is emotional stress. So we have emotional stress, how we deal with ourselves, how we deal with each other, our relationships. But I think the biggest and the most fundamental stress that I see is a disconnect 
from our consciousness and without sounding, I don't, you know, it's difficult because I want to meet everyone where they're at and some people say, but I don't have a spiritual belief. I don't know what you mean by consciousness. Mm. And, 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 this is what, and this is really what I mean by it is who are you? What is it that you want to do? What is your purpose? What drives you? Some people are not connected to their heart's desires. Um, they don't even know that they can be. Mm. Some people are connected but ignore it, that in- intuition, their instinct. And so they're living um, an inauthentic life, a life that isn't the life they really want to live because they feel they, they, feel they don't have a choice. I think that drives a lot of the reasons of the imbalances that cause the other stresses. I think a lot of people are living their life in fear mm-hmm. and anxiety and I think that is one of the greatest stresses because they have a fear of I can't make ends meet, I will get sick. If I don't do this, there is no hope. Um, every negative emotion that you can think of really falls under the banner of fear. So mm. what do what do we do with that? That is taught to us. We're not born that way. That is taught to us by our family, our friends, our environment, marketing. That's how we sell products to people through fear. We don't do that personally, but that is how products are often marketed. If you don't wear this latest trend, you won't fit in. Um, So the opposite of that, the counterbalance of that, which is a stress in the body, the fight-flight response, is the parasympathetic nervous system, the part of the nervous system that evokes healing. It's the part that is... It feels good, it's joyous, it's love. That's the counterbalance to that fear, that stress, that anxiety, that worry, every negative emotion. So where does one start by, um, how, how does one start to connect spiritually, to reconnect to one's heart's desires? Because I feel like you you have made a bit of a shift in your work and what you like to talk about to really hone in on this and help people with this part of it because it's so big in on a on a healing path, right? Yeah. I think, you know, over the years, um, as practitioners and other practitioners will recognise this, you often see the patients that remind you that's a part of you that needs to be healed. You know who you bring into your life, into your world. It's like, ah, oh, I get it. That's why you're present so I can heal that. Mm-hmm. I think after seeing so many patients over the years and seeing patients with cancer and and prognosis of I've only got three months to live Anthea what else can I do and then if you have your own personal experiences with family members who are diagnosed I had to get really comfortable with what all of that meant I, I I wanted to know I wanted to better understand why what is actually going on here what is this common thread is it just diet exercise and I'm seeing people chasing their tails, so stressed out, so worried, so not living within their bodies, almost living still connected to their past, mourning what was, um, regret, and also projecting into the future. When I get to this, I'll be happy. If I'm healed, Anthea, I'll be so much better. If I could change jobs, everything will fall into place. And it's like, hold on a moment. Hmm. None of that's going to happen that way. Past has already happened. We don't know who's going to come into the picture in the future and how things will play out. What needs to change is to slow it all down and come back to yourself and rather than living life by default or in a reactive state, slow it right down and start making clear choices, start feeling how you're really feeling, really embracing not just your physical symptoms, emotional symptoms, mental symptoms, like what is it that you're feeling? Why are you feeling the way you're feeling and how do you want to feel? And I think um, when patients come to me, one of the ways I use adaptogens or supplements is to bring them back to that stillness, that quietness, back to themselves to work out why they have the answers. They're just running away from it. Mm. Quieten everything down and get out of your head. And that's the purpose of how I use these adaptogens is to really calm the nervous system, get out of that flight, fight, flight, that fear that comes with disease or 
fear causes disease or contributes to disease, we come back to our center, whatever you want to call it, spiritual, soul, universal love, God, or center, whatever that is for you, from that place, feel it and see and hear the answers. We all know, we all deep down know what needs to change, what needs to shift, um, what needs to be improved. But why is there such resistance? What are we running away from? What are we so scared of? Wow. And given you mentioned before that you often feel that practitioners are sent certain types of people Mm. um, to teach them something, what have Mm. you learned? How did you reconnect? I think um, I had this experience that was about a year ago, uh, a patient of mine who actually we became very good friends, which doesn't always happen. You know, I'm very close and I, all my patients know how I feel. I'm very fond of them and I, and, I, and I love them to pieces and I'm all in to help them. But this particular patient, um, we had known each other for a very long time and she was pregnant and diagnosed with um, a cancer that riddled her body and she was six months pregnant. Um, and I went on that little journey with her and I realised I I had I still had one foot in and one foot out and what I meant by that I was I even though as a naturopath you are taught holistic medicine mind body spirit what is the spirit I grew up you know in a strictly religious family that you feed God um, you know religion was forced on you. Um, I didn't have a healthy relationship to God and spirituality. It's it's something, if it wasn't scientific and herbal medicine wasn't scientific, I didn't buy into it. And I realized I kind of sat on the fence. I forgot that we were both human and being, physical form um, that encompasses a spiritual being. And it wasn't until this experience with Nikki and a few other things that happened then my little doggy got cancer, my partner got cancer. Um, another business situation had happened where I was quite confronted um, and I had to look at my stuff. And this message that came to me was get comfortable with death, Anthea, so you can get comfortable in life. Wow. And the other strong message was is to not be so identified with how I do things is to be free to, instead of controlling my destiny, instead of controlling how I do things, is to co-create, to go within before I go out, to have trust and faith that I'm actually co-creating with a spirit, a being, a God, whatever that is. Amazing. Wow. And how do you check yourself? Like, And by that I mean what does that practice of, of connection and being comfortable with death to be um, full of life look like on a daily basis for you? Um, It's not that I won't experience stress or have fear. I can see it. I'll either see it in the moment, I'll see it within half an hour and no longer than a day will go by. Um, I cultivate that presence, that stillness, that centeredness or oneness through meditation, through being in nature and through listening to great podcasts uh, about consciousness is really um, dedicating time and energy to that. We dedicate so much time to eating well and to exercising and to knowing all about our environment. And that should be a given, but absolutely we need to dedicate time to that because we are so disconnected from nature and what we've evolved to eat and how we should live within the natural rhythms of the human being and the seasonal rhythms and the earthly rhythms, 100%. But we also need to dedicate an equal amount of time to our beingness, mm. our, our spiritual health. I and- couldn't agree more. I, this is this part has woken up for me massively in the last few months as well. Because mm-hmm. you know when you're in the like fight or flight um, urgency of a really big chronic health event um, mm-hmm. like mold illness was for me, 
I was so focused on the physical and the symptomatic presentation of that illness and getting rid of the symptoms and getting the body stronger and getting my brain back and all the things because it affects every part of your body. Um, But then what I didn't realise was coming out of that, that it affected my brain uh, and the way I thought and the way I connected to myself in a massive, massive way. And I have to rebuild that connection. Um, by the time this airs, in fact, I will have completed the one-week advanced retreat with Dr. Joe Dispenza, which is next week um, as we record this. I'm so excited about so it. So excited, yes. Mm. Yeah. Um, I think, you know, when someone is in pain um, or they're inflamed, it is very hard to connect. You're always connected to consciousness, but it is very hard to fe- feel it and see it because the physical takes over. So in a book called The Course of Miracles, it says um, it's it's very hard to access that. So you work parallel on the mind and the physical to cultivate that, to be able to access and cultivate more consciousness. Because if someone's got physical pain or they're exhausted, how are they? The, the, the one thing they want to do is distract themselves or numb themselves out. They don't mm. want to feel into it. So sometimes you, you just need to meet that individual where they're at while you're removing the contributing factors, underlying causes, and, you know, SOS first aid alleviate. But you can see they're kind of on this path of peeling back the onion layers to coming back to that centeredness. But mm. you still need to do, first say if someone's in pain, you need to alleviate that pain um, because they can't access consciousness in that pain. Yes, that's so true. I felt completely unable to do that. It was it was almost unsafe to do that. Yeah, uh, I, I felt like I would be taking my eye off the ball, right? If I did that, yeah, so interesting. And so- that's why within this work, I, I I ask and you invite patients to be open, curious, and brave. That sometimes it won't look a particular way. Sometimes the, the journey won't. You know, we we can't have so identified to the outcome of the journey because it may be even greater and better than what we'd ever imagined. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was, you know, one of my big learnings is, sure, I wish if patients did this, this and this, they would fix this, this and this, but I can't have that attachment to the outcome of how and what it should look like. It could be so much greater and bigger than what my brain can work out. Mm, wow, that must be must be huge as a practitioner because that part of it, you know, you can lay the foundations and the ideas out for someone when they're ready to start exploring that, but you can't hold their hand necessarily in that part of the healing journey. No, it's it's you can walk along their path, but they've you know got to be open and willing. And sometimes you don't meet that individual again till another year or another two years later. Mm. Um, because sometimes you know the first round is just eating well, yeah, consciousness and around eating and consideration about what you're going to eat healthy plants, healthy animals, soil, farming. But again, see how that requires some time and space and openness and curiosity to mm. get there. It happens in waves, I think it definitely has for me. You get all the food sorted, then you feel comfortable. You need to kind of relax into that with a bit of a plateau. Then you get all your chemical and environmental toxin exposures sorted and then think, okay, let's work out what's going on in my head. (laughs) Yeah. 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 Um, Do you think maybe starting with the head flips it completely and makes everything else fall into place? Yeah, it's it's an interesting one. It yes, it depends where an individual's at. Mm-hmm. Like I often think, God, I wish I just understood the lay of the land so much earlier on. I, but I was exposed to it. I I studied naturopathy. It was all mind, body, spirit. Um, I. I just and, and I read every self-help book and I read Eckhart Tolle a long time ago. I mean, I read Eckhart Tolle, The Power of Now Now, and I think, wow, okay, I really get you, thank God. But, you know, I read that 10 years ago. It didn't mean anything to me. I just, I, I wasn't there. I, I operated in so much fear. And even though I was creating and manifesting, you know, the clinic, consulting, obvio, seeing patients, 
I still operated out of fear. Even though I understood healthcare underlying reasons, I was still operating out of fear. And every person I met was operating out of fear. Wow. Because I I didn't really believe. I didn't I wasn't all in. I sat on the fence because of the way I was brought up. When something you're told to believe in something, you don't want to believe in it. It's it's something that finds you or something happens and you know you just go on this little path the waves as you mentioned and then suddenly you're here or something gets bad enough like this disease gets bad enough and you think I've got to look another way you know when I started the you know Obvio as a business I, I the intention behind that was to meet more people where they're at I thought I can only see patients one-on-one we opened up a shop because there was no websites or social media in those days I remember your little shop it was just where the bus pulls up the 389 um yeah just there before I think what street is that Hargrave and Cascade Gurner and Cambridge yeah 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 um, but that you know that came up because there was a calling within me that I knew there was more I just needed to do the work myself I and I even though I was always reading and always exploring and always wondering and meditating it wasn't until things sometimes things have to get pretty bad within yourself or you get so sick of something that isn't working out that you think okay I give up I'm not going to try and control this anymore. There's, there, there must be another way. Surely life isn't just about suffering and mm-hmm. pain. And so that's how my journey began to this, and this is where now I meet patients. But whether it's an adaptogen herb, whether it's an OVOT, my intention and goal behind that is to harmonize an individual so they can see, so they're free to see, so they can see that they actually are connected to lots of wisdom um, and inner knowing, um, and connected to healing, that all we're there is to switch on that healing pathway. Mm. That's a beautiful way to put it. And you just mentioned your beautiful teas, speaking of. Mm. Uh, they really are amazing. Rise and Shine is one of my favourite teas ever, and mm-hmm. your peppermint is the most pepperminty of all the peppermints I've <laughs> ever tasted in my life. Yeah. Um, can you share with me a little bit about uh, um, the blends that you create inspired by and very much using uh, Western herbs and, mm. and, and Eastern herbs for that matter? Mm. So with my history, having worked for Penelope Sash, who had herbal teas and being a herbalist and and a budding child herbalist who mixed herbs and teas and all sorts of crazy potions, um it's just a natural extension to create teas for patients is no different to putting together a herbal tonic so I'd create little blends for patients whether they're for digestive upset or we're trying to get them off coffee not that there's anything wrong with coffee um, or just something that is more rejuvenating or something calming so herbs have many actions as we know Um, it wasn't until I was asked by a friend who had a cafe and said I want to serve these in my cafe that the wholesale business began. I didn't have this whiz-bang business plan that said Ovio is going to be premium organic tea company in Australia. I I just love herbs so much. They're just if someone said you couldn't use herbs anymore, I'd feel like I would be part dead because that's how much they're an extension of what I do. Um, the blends that I create are, are according to traditional herbal medicine. So we put blends ingredients together which makes sense by the actions that they impart, whether it's anti-inflammatory, dissolved mucus, relieve colic, anti-allergy, but also because it's a tea, it has to be palatable and enjoyable and I want people to enjoy, have an experience. Yeah. Um, and can, I will, can, can I just ask there, do we, yeah. can we take teas as, um, are, are they more medicinal but not, necessarily therapeutic doses if that makes sense yeah so usually um we're we're taught how many grams is required of each ingredient and then some teas are high dose so you need four to five grams per cup three times a day others are only one to two grams three times a day depends obviously on the volume siberian ginseng is much heavier than heavier than peppermint 
Um, so it's not so prescriptive, but we can blend enough together. The thing is with herbal teas, the act of making a herbal tea, boiling the water, preparing it, sitting down is a moment to reflect. It's a moment to connect. It's a quite a harmonious experience. So apart from the actual ingredients themselves imparting an action indicated for different ailments, the actual act of making and sitting and having a tea is very healing in itself. It's so true, isn't it? It really is just about taking that moment often. Yes. Mm. So how we blend, yes, sometimes I'll say um, if I'm prescribing, for instance, um, C-strength citrus, which is very rich in natural vitamin C, I'll say have four cups of this per day. Though on the packet it says one teaspoon per cup. Um, and it can, some people just have a cup and that's pleasant and it's beautiful and it's a lovely experience and they'll enjoy it. But if they have three to four cups, then they'll get more of the medicinal action. Gotcha. And can you do more is more? Like could you have two teaspoons in an extra strong cup? Yeah. So sometimes we'll do that. For instance, I might mix up our cinnamon ginger sole with sea strength citrus and what you get is um, lots of cinnamon and ginger, which is great for inflammation, cold constitution. Sea strength citrus is very rich in vitamin C and bioflavonoids and antioxidants. So really beautiful winter um, remedy if you combine a teaspoon of each, steep it in a cup of boiling water the longer you steep. Sometimes with these herbs, um, the more of the, the actions, the active constituents you'll impart in the water. And then of that, you could then have three to four cups a day. Wow. Sounds yeah. like it would be incredibly healing in the winter. Yeah. So mm. blend. Um, and that's why even with herbal teas, they can be very prescriptive. But I made sure I created blends that were easy to consume, kind of sat neutrally if you pick them up on the shelf. Um, they would be indicated for most people. Mm. And this might actually be what you end up replying to this very last question, but what do you think one of the most important things we can do for our health is that you're not necessarily seeing people do enough today? I think it's um, cultivate more consciousness and stillness. Mm. I think people are very are becoming very aware. Maybe it's the bubble we're in. I don't know, Alex. But I know. I'm always conscious of the echo chamber. I think it's, mm -hmm. yeah. I think, you know, everyone seems to know about food. I think I think that is cultivate more consciousness. And I think the other thing is is live. I, I would not be talking about health if I was healthy and I wasn't a practitioner. Mm. I'd go to the art gallery. I'd go and support climate change. I'd be... I, if I'm healthy and well and not a practitioner, there's just big things to do in the world, if that makes sense. Ah, I see what you're saying. So if, you know, once you get your health on track, start caring about big picture stuff. Yeah, I instead think. Instead of like looking for more to talk about in that space when perhaps you actually just don't need to anymore or at that time in your life. Exactly. I think, you know, our ultimate goal, you and I, are probably heal yourself to heal the world. Our goal is if you heal the individual, then the individual actually heals the world because what you apply to yourself, you apply to the rest of the world. But if if you're well, go out and and be inspire and and generate more wellness. But I, I feel people are often, I don't know, staying in this realm of illness Lara Bryden said something in a post or so recently, just go live, go and experience, go and enjoy, go help, be of service, um, step outside of yourself if you're well. Mm. That's beautiful advice. I love that. I really, really love that. And I think a lot of us need to remember that, you know, because you can end up in some sort of feedback loop of uh, talking about sickness and looking for things that might not even be there. And mm. that's, um, that's equally important to be conscious of mm. um, as we strive for better health and a happier planet. Mm. Thank you so much for joining me. This was such a beautiful chat and thank you for sharing your wisdom on all of those adaptogens. Hopefully it's helped people realize out there that these are absolutely incredible uh, uh, herbs and roots and, 
Uh, also uh, important to really have a deep, deep understanding of which one for who, which only a trained practitioner can help you do. So thank you so much once again, Anthea. It was thank awesome. You. Thanks for creating the platform for us. It's amazing that you oh. do this for us because we appreciate it beyond measure. I am always just so chuffed that I get to bring your wisdom and the wisdom of so many people to the world. It's mm. my favourite part about my job. Mm. Thank, you. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to today's show. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I enjoy having these conversations and bringing them to you. Now, where can you find me and Lotox Life from here on in? Well, you've obviously got lotoxlife.com. And there we have everything beautifully organized into food, home, body, and mind topics, as well as kids, and a whole bunch of free downloadables and resources to help you, inspire you to take community action. And there's amazing A to Z recipes there if you're ever getting a little bit stale in the kitchen and a whole bunch of articles that I've written. You can also find me on Instagram at Lotox Life and also on Facebook by a page the same name. I make everything super easy, Lotox Life so you can find it really, really simply. Thank you so much to everybody who leaves a five-star review over on Stitcher or iTunes or wherever it is that you tune into the show. And also to let you know that you can join us on Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com forward slash Lotox Life and come join the private Lotox Life Club. In there, over time, more and more cool stuff is about to be added. It's a place where we can continue the conversations, chat about the weekly show, you're going to get bonus Q&A and all sorts of things over time. I explain everything over on Patreon, so I encourage you to check that out. And in the meantime, I'll see you next week. Mm-hmm.